You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest rock bands in history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode 15, Who Do We Think We Are? The End, Part 2. And coming to you from the rainy suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And from the biggest little state in the nation, I'm your co-host, John Black Knight Matola. Ah, the Black Knight. That is a good one. <laughs> yeah. If you want to keep up to date on the show, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. You can also subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those spots. DeepPurplePodcast.com is where to get show notes and all the information. And hey, listen, if you listen to the show on your drive to work, you know, if we bring a little uh, joy to your morning commute, keep you entertained, you can always throw us a few bucks on Patreon, become a patron. We'd really appreciate that. And please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, for God's sake. We're still kind of languishing there at around 12, I think, uh, ratings. And uh, despite all the great positive feedback we've gotten and all the Twitter responses and all that, um, we still need a few more great reviews on Apple Podcasts. That would be a huge help. All right, so how you been this week, my friend? Not bad. Very good. Which is... Very good is another way of saying not bad. Um, <laughs> ah, bring out your thesaurus yeah. and give us a few more. Yeah, great, awesome. Um, yeah, I'm. I don't know. So, any, <laughs> so yeah, uh, great. Um, so yeah, what's what's happening in the world of Deep Purple? Well, in the world of Deep Purple, so we were on this past Saturday, July twenty seventh, as we record this. It'll probably be about a week later when you hear it. Uh, we were on T Bone's Prime Cuts, so he did a special episode featuring what is now being known as the Deep Dive Podcast Network, which is three amazing podcasts, including Sabbath Bloody Podcast, uh, Skinnered Reconsidered, and our show, which Terry Mathley, the host of T-Bone's Prime Cuts, say is the only three podcasts that he listens to. So that's pretty big praise. Awesome. And um, as you know, we you know recorded a little segment for a show explaining what we do on this show and picked hand-selected six songs to play on the show, which he played, which was great. So I think we started off with April from the Mark one lineup. Now did, um, I didn't, uh, admittedly did not hear it. Did he do the whole thing or did he do it after the orchestra part? He ended up playing the whole thing. He's, he's a purist. So hopefully we didn't turn too many people off with that (laughs) long, long intro to that song. But, wow, um, he went he went deep. Yeah, I mean, talk about deep cuts. He went all the way. He did, and as he's playing the songs, he tweets them, and then pe- people just start responding right away about, "Oh, I love the song and that." So there's a lot nice. of uh, a lot of good feedback. We picked up some new Twitter followers for sure. And if you're coming here, courtesy of T Bones Prime Cuts, thanks for listening, and hopefully you enjoy our discussions of the band. Um, yeah, it was a great episode. He does release it as a podcast as well, so you can. You can subscribe to it and listen to it on. It's part of the Daily Boom, I believe, is the the podcast, and you know it'll say in the title that it's his show. So yeah, it kicked off with some some Sabbath cuts, some Leonard Skinner cuts, and then ended with Deep Purple, which was great. And yeah, we did 
We did April from the Mark One lineup. We did Bloodsucker and Pictures of Home from Mark Two. We did, I think, Sail Away from Mark Three and Soldier of Fortune from Mark Three, and then ended it with Getting Tighter from the Mark Four lineup. So, oof, just yes. just those fair. Yeah, nice, nice little lineup. It was fun listening to it, especially since I've been on a a fast and not listening to any Mark Three or Four or anything yet. So it was nice to hear that stuff again for the first time in a long time. Yeah, well, we know that if I was part of that weight loss challenge, I lost my my chip like the day after we recorded. Yeah, you needed to cleanse yourself from, from who do you who do we think we are, and you had to listen to Burn right away. So, oh, I couldn't help it. I'm so bad. It was it was so good. It was fattening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll save all discussion for that for the next episode. Yeah, we but. could easily uh, easily get into that now. I think the Burn yeah. episode is going to be a long episode. Yeah. So I'm trying to put as much, like when creating the show notes, trying to put as much of the kind of lead up to Coverdale and Hughes joining into our next episode, which is going to be a dive into how, you know, the background behind those two guys before Deep Purple. And then we'll kind of go through how they were recruited and all that. And then we can just kind of hit burn right away just with the whole writing process and everything. So it should be fun. Um, and other news, we got this, we got a kind of funny YouTube comment that I wanted to share with you because it's kind of semi-negative, but also positive. So I thought it was good. Um, so this guy, Yuri Lemonsev on YouTube says, I find it odd that you guys presume to have the competence to host a podcast on Deep Purple without even having listened to all their studio albums. It is one thing if you had listened to the Morse stuff and decided that you genuinely don't like it, but to not even give it a chance, a disappointing attitude. Apart from that one complaint, I found this excellent. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of funny that um, um, kind of dig dig on us and then like said, "Oh, he loves it." Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry if we I'm sorry that we give the impression that we don't or that we're dismissing the more stuff. I just think I think if we haven't gotten to it yet, right? And we, we and we admit, I think it's that we have admitted in past episodes that we're just not that familiar with the Morse lineup. Yeah, I mean, if um, I would say that anybody that is listening to our podcast now um, is more, I would guess, is more interested or more into the first or the early classic eras of the band. Not to say that the current isn't uh, just as good, but uh, you talk to most people about Deep Purple, and they're going to be they're going to be looking at like you know Mark Two, Mark Three. Um, but I mean, uh, just because we checked out doesn't mean that we don't like the albums or we're not, I mean, yeah, we're not competent about them, but we also haven't gotten to them yet. Like when we eventually get to those albums, we're going to listen to them the same way that we listen to these and give them a fair shot. And like you've said in the past, Nate, this is that we're going to give them a, like a, a chance. Like we might even find that we're just like, oh, wow, this is like, I didn't realize how good this was. And which is what we're kind of hoping for. Yeah. And I, I've listened to, <clears throat> I've listened to a few of the albums in the Steve Morse era, just not, <clears throat> not, um, I haven't listened. I admit I haven't listened to every one and I definitely don't have the same, like, I'm not as tuned into them. So like if I, if I put on perpendicular again, which I admittedly probably haven't listened to in 15, 20 years, I'm probably, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I forgot about this. Oh yeah, this part's good. There's going to be parts I remember, but I, I'm not going to be like putting on burn where I know every note, you know? So yeah, exactly. So well, yeah, I mean, so, you can't please, you can't please everybody. So yeah. So definitely not dismissing the Steve Moore stuff. Um, 
And, you know, as we've said before, we're not Deep Purple or music historians or journalists. We're just a couple of fans who, apart from wanting to explore the old stuff, we do want to discover new stuff and learn new stuff and listen to new stuff, not just um, listen to the old stuff that we're familiar with. So, you know, by, you know, a year from now, I would think we've, we'll have heard, you know, tons more Deep Purple material than we'd heard, than we've heard before and be a lot more familiar with it. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, we might. I know uh, Rye from the from Sabbath Bloody Podcast kind of went into his whole thing with kind of a a negative attitude, not an attitude is the wrong word. Negative feeling about Dio and about the non Aussie stuff. But he came out of it. He's just like hooked on Dio Sabbath now and loves the Tony Martin stuff. So he's like, you know, he kind of went through a similar thing with us where he he got acquainted with stuff he wasn't as familiar with, and turns out he loves it. And I'm sure the same thing's going to happen with us. So, uh, those are the only kind of comments we've got going on. Thanks to our patrons. We do have a couple, Clay Wambacher and Steve Seaborg is a new patron, a patron of all the worlds of stage.net. He has some uh, kind of rock and roll memorabilia sort of shirts and things for sale if you want to check them out. So, big thanks to both of those guys for supporting the show. Cool. And... With that, we're just going to, today's episode might be a little bit shorter, uh, but, you know, we can tend to drone on, so who knows, maybe it'll be our longest episode yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be shorter, as we already just, like, wasted, like, how much time, like, going on and on. Yeah, we're almost at the 10-minute mark, I think. Well, but, that's just, but that's just us. That's so. just us. Um, yeah, so we just wanted to talk a little bit about, so this is guaranteed, I don't know why I'm focused on getting our video record, so it's a kind of bonus tracks episode which are historically always blocked by youtube for some reason so this will probably be blocked by youtube um if you're hearing this you're probably in some special area that allows it and thanks for checking (laughs) us out uh it can vary between those two islands off the coast of canada or all american territories we never know um play (laughs) yeah if this is blocked, hello, Uruguay. <laughs> the only people that can see this. <laughs> we thank you for yeah checking us out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it is. You know, we can play Machine Head in its entirety being fine, but then we play, you know, John Lord's backwards piano, and they're like, nope, 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 denied. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. I still love it. So... Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit a little bit more about the background of what was going on in the band right now. We'll talk about some of the songs too. So, Jerry Bloom, who wrote tons of great Deep Purple books, in the book The Road of Golden Dust, he talks a little bit more about the Ian Gillen and Richie Blackmore feuding that was going on at this point and he tends to lend more of the blame on Ian Gillen than you maybe traditionally hear. A lot of times hmm. it can be kind of um perceived that it's like, oh, Richie was just impossible to work with and that's what the problem. But, you know, Ian Gillen will admit as much too that he he does take some of the blame. So he talks about Ian Gillen's girlfriend at the time, Zoe Dean, and saying that like she would travel with him when they were going uh, on the road and everything. And she was traveling with him, but the other band members were traveling by themselves and I guess getting into typical rock and roll hijinks and Zoe would kind of report back to the wives and girlfriends back home about what the other guys in the band were doing and what they were up to, which was maybe not really endearing the rest of the band to to her, (laughs) getting them in in trouble. And, you know, hey, 
if they were doing those sorts of things, I guess shame on them. Um, and then John Lord has a quote to Mike Erickson, who you might remember as Trinklebonker, who mentioned us on his blog, the uh, Deep Purple, uh, Swedish Deep Purple uh, historian. Uh, and John Lord said that Ian was a prima donna. On stage, he played a prima donna, and off stage, he was a prima donna. So <laughs> this was an interview in 1981, kind of giving his feeling on Ian Gillen. Gillen started to feel isolated to the, from the band and started traveling separately. And I think they gave him the ultimatum. The band said, you know, hey, you can either leave your girlfriend at home or you can travel separately. And he decided to travel separately. And apparently he was with this woman for, um, I think, almost 10 years. They were together mm -hmm. before they broke up uh, through most of the 70s. Um, so again, some of the, these, some of these things are rumors. We don't know a hundred percent, but, um, Ian Hansford, who is a roadie for, uh, Elf tells a story about, uh, during a song one night, Richie took his guitar off, threw it on stage and walked off after Ian Gillen told him, look at me, you see you next Tuesday. And Gillen told, <laughs> <laughs> and Gillen walked, I, I guess, uh, uh, Blackmore walked off and told this roadie and said, Hey, I've, I've had it with this guy. I don't want to play with him anymore. So another story that doesn't paint Ian in the best light. I mean, all right. I gotta, I gotta be with, on, uh, with, uh, team, team Blackmore on that one. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him for that. No. Yeah. Especially it's not like you just called him that backstage. You called it to him, presumably on mic. Um, Oh my God. Could so. you, could you imagine go, going to work and talking to your coworkers like that? that? That stuff would not fly. No, I'm pretty sure I'd, uh, definitely have the rest of that day off. <laughs> or at least when my boss found out, <laughs> I would have a, yes. I'd have a nice extended vacation, and rightly so. And not not really good for the workplace. Yeah, Nate, can you uh, come to my office and bring everything in your desk with you? Exactly. Uh, we, we have to have we have to have a chat. Bring your keys um, and your phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Gillen had started at this point working on his Sherkazoo uh, project, which I read I read somewhere that one of the pl places reporting on it called it Shay Kazoo, like like. You know, C H E Z, Shay Kazoo. Um, <laughs> Shay Kazoo. Shah, it's very, welcome to Shay Kazoo. It's very fancy. Would you would you like would you like to start off with some escargot? <laughs> <laughs> so he'd gotten into the studio with Glover and Lord and Ray Fenwick and completed some of the songs. And Gillen at this time was also producing an album by the band Jerusalem. Well, I'm not very, I always just kind of think of Nazareth who Glover produced. <clears throat> I don't know mm -hmm. if it was just kind of a, one of those biblical type bands. Um, that band broke up and members of the band formed another band called Pussy. <laughs> very <laughs> subtle. Um, with, uh, <laughs> and Ian Gillen produced that as well. So, yeah, very to the point. And I guess Gillen, and maybe we could save more of this for our share, our Shea Kazoo episode. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd been in talks with Disney about developing this idea. And he called like share kazoo. I'm calling it share kazoo share. He called share kazoo an animal slash space slash music travelogue fantasy. So if you've heard the share kazoo album, you can kind of see that there's a lot going on. A lot of it's a, it's a very weird, whimsical, fun sort of if disjointed collection of songs and it's incomplete, mm. but, um, I really, I love it. I enjoyed listening to that album a lot. That's one I haven't heard for a while. Yeah. I remember hearing that must've been at your place years ago and listening to that hogwash song and 
running out oh. to <laughs> hogwash, oh, and then running out to get my copy. <laughs> and I used to, I had this job where I used to clean a church, and that was like something I, for some reason, was always listening to the album. Was so I was just think about like being in the boiler room of this church, sweeping up, listening to like hogwash, and uh, driving me wild, and all those songs. Some really, really good songs on that album. Oh man, yeah. I gotta say, when the, when all those kind of reissues or like Deep Purple Family albums and stuff came out, like those imports, like back in what were they? What was it the nineties, right? Yeah, it was like the early ninety, ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, maybe. I have to say that's probably out of everything, like even more so than than Kiss, because Kiss didn't really have that kind of thing. Like they would have like like bootlegs and stuff from like shows, like stuff you've heard before. But I mean, in terms of like sheer, like just like. Com- like music that you've like haven't heard anywhere else just stuff like that or like the, the butterfly ball or something like completely like different projects like deep purple like corner the market on that stuff because every time we would go to mm-hmm. to sam's records or something there would just be like some other wild solo project by somebody related to deep purple and i would just be like oh i gotta have this cd and spend like 20 dollars on it or whatever exorbitant price oh it yeah they're expensive then, but- and the hunt, just the hunt for them. Like I'd go in, yeah. I could walk in like whatever Caldor at the time. I don't know if anyone listening even remembers. Like I'd walk into Caldor and be like, you know, they sell like eleven CDs. Maybe Butterfly Ball is in there somehow. You know, like I would just always <laughs> yeah. be on the lookout. And I remember going to like the big, big Tower Records in Boston. Yeah. And uh, I'd go to you know look and look and look. And when you tried to search for like Butterfly Ball. Yeah. The band Iron Butterfly had that album Ball and it was of just course. always you like search for it and you're like oh oh oh, if, oh no it's just Iron Butterfly Ball again. <laughs> I'd be, always be disappointed even though I've never you listened know, to that album. You search and be like damn it <laughs> not this <laughs> album again. But um, yeah um I I would say like um yeah that that place in uh that place in Warwick I think is where I got most of my CDs from. I don't think I really got much when uh, when I went up to and I didn't admittedly didn't travel up to Boston a lot. It was like mm-hmm. just maybe twenty minutes down the street from here, and they had a really great um, kind of import CD store called uh, Sam's Records, which is yeah. of, of course no longer. I don't even remember them selling records. It was just all CDs, mm-hmm. and the reason that place was awesome too was is like not only would they have like the new CDs on the release date, but they would be at least like three to $4 cheaper than the mall, which was like yep. right across the street. And they all like, yeah, you'd find all those ones with that strip of Japanese, like down the left-hand side, yes. like you know, Japanese yes. imports. You'd be like, ah, oh, great. I remember picking up clear uh, turbulence and lots of yes. stuff over there. Um, and th- you could not find that shit at the mall. No. <laughs> so that was even better. No, so. you're not getting that at strawberries. They had, um, <laughs> but but nope. Boston had the big tower record, like the big big yeah. tower records, and they had um, was it HMV? And it was an impressive or is that the store. is that the closing store? What? A- is it HMV? Was that the H and M? No, that's the clothing store. H and M. Yeah, H and M was the clothing yeah, store. HMV, I guess, was the record store, and they had. Okay. I remember I picked up like uh, Gillen Toolbox there, and a few other things. They always had like some good import, yeah. like UK imports there. So cool. Yeah, cool place for sure. Um, so yeah, so he's in talk with Disney about this, but apparently it fizzled out because they were producing something else at the time. I want to say it was like the animated, like the, the Disney Robin Hood or something like that. So it kind of fizzled out. Um, and back with Deep Purple, Glover took over the the job as kind of being the liaison between Gillen and Blackmore to kind of go back and forth because they weren't talking. Uh, Blackmore claims that he never spoke to Gillen during the entire recording of Who Do We Think We Are. 
And he says he started holding back and not sharing his ideas because he was working on them for a couple things. One was this solo album he kept talking about, which ended up being uh, Rainbow in later years. And then he was also working on the Babyface project with Phil Lina and uh, Ian Pace. So he was holding stuff back for that. Martin Birch says he never really saw any kind of confrontation, just noticed Gillen and Blackmore purposefully avoiding each other and not paying attention to each other. Mm. Um, Blackmore now, said... Was it, what's that? Uh, I was just wondering something before I forget. Was it just in your reading, was it just those two guys? Or was like was Gillen isolating himself from everybody else or was Blackmore pissing off everybody else too? Like, was it just those two mainly or like, how did the rest of guys feel about everything? You know, I'm not finding a lot of stuff that talks specifically about, about that, but what I'm seeing from my point of view, from what I've read, it sounds like Blackmore and Gillen were not, they weren't impressing everyone in the group for sure. Like, but it sounded like, everyone else could kind of make it work. Like people were kind of, it sounds like people in the group were kind of annoyed with Gillen and kind of annoyed with Blackmore, but for the most part they could make it work, but Gillen and Blackmore just couldn't make it work. And that was the problem. It sounds mm. like everyone else might just be rolled their eyes. Like, Oh, here's Ian being a prima donna or here's Blackmore going off and being all solitary and not sharing his stuff. So um, to me, that's what it sounds like anyway. Yeah. Blackmore said everyone gave their worst and called the album rubbish. <laughs> Um, Glover was a little more positive on the final result of, of the album, kind of enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, uh, the record label was starting to cash in, uh, like like we talked about last episode. They saw the end was near, and they're like, let's just get everything out we can. They released Purple, pa- Purple Passages, which is a compilation album. And included you know what? I think I had that. Do you have that one? I, I remember seeing that before. I never had it, but maybe it was you that I saw it from. What what was on it? You were about to. It includes four tracks from the uh, from the uh, from the Deep Purple album. Which yes, and then it was which was out of print at the time, so this was kind of your only way of getting it. Yeah, and um, it was great for Rod Evans because this gave him a huge influx of cash as the band was like at the peak of its popularity. People were buying up this album. Now he's getting all these huge checks from from royalties on on this uh, stuff that's a couple years old. All right, Rod. Yeah, good for Rod. It's not good in the end, but... <laughs> well, I mean, God knows he probably didn't make much money from Captain Beyond. Uh, probably not. <laughs> well, wait a minute. What about Nicky? Didn't he make any money? No, because Nick Simper, if you remember, he signed off a deal where he just got a lump sum cash payment of like 10,000 pounds. Yeah, bad Ooh. move. Ooh, um, Nicky. It's Nicky, bad move. Uh, oh, so he man. got the lump sum payment and never got... He gave up all future royalties, which was not not a good move. Oh, man. So looking at the album cover again, we have a kind of something a little different here because um, they redid the album cover for this release, which I don't like. I don't like that they did that. Uh, it's very darker. It's, it's a very subtle difference. It's a little darker. They enhanced some of the photos, but the album art, it removed the bubble of text at the bottom that says like the, the name of the album, like the, who do we think we are? Oh, and, yeah. and Simon Robinson in the, in the liner note says the cover, uh, the cover was in an attempt using an image from NASA satellite to have the heads of the five band members floating above the landscape. It was only partially successful and it was altered for the U S and Can- Canadian version in an attempt to improve on the effect. Any subtlety they did manage with the complex overlaid color transparencies 
was lost by the cheap-looking title lettering, which we've omitted on this edition. So, so this is the original album cover. Things are a little more off-centered. Deep Purple is off-centered. And then you've got the Who Do We Think We Are bubble, which I think looks kind of cool. A little dated, but, you know, that was the time. And then yeah. the new album cover darkens everything, centers the bubbles, says Who Do We Think We Are right at the top in quotes. Um, so, again, not a major change, but... Uh, a change that they made for this particular release. You know, come to think of it, I think that I might have, like looking at it, I recognize that. I feel like I've seen or maybe owned that version before the original one. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like it's more familiar. Um, the the one without the bubble text? Yeah, the the, the, okay. the reissue or the re-release. Or yeah, whatever, I looked, I have the one that's like... Um, there's also one where the lettering is yellow, so I don't know if they did that to kind of make it a little mm. more, uh, or make it stand out a little bit more. But I yeah, but the booklet here has got uh, got some. As always, you can do a little quick ad for the for the special edition here. The uh, booklet has um, some cool stuff in it. So it opens up like in normal sto- kind of stories and everything. Roger Glover always takes takes over halfway through and talks about things. Has a, a little bit of a breakdown of the gatefold there with all the different stories you can read. Nice picture of uh, Pacey playing a snare drum there. Um, we've got some ads. There's an ad from like one of the uh, uh, papers. I can't tell what it's from. It says, also available on tape. So Deep Purple has got the Who Do We Think We Are bubble there. And it's got, it looks like the same photos from the bubbles but they're they don't have the effect on them so it's just the circle of the pictures so you get a really good look for them that's probably i like that that's pretty nice yeah it's cool you've got one of those ads that we were talking about last week one of those weird ads is ever since they rush released deep purple's new album i've been worked off me bleeding feet who do they think they are (laughs) it's got a picture of a guy there that says delivery on it so he must be a delivery guy he's so were overworked from how many copies of this album he's had to deliver. <laughs> um, got a nice, great picture of the band there, all holding some gold records, uh, smoking some cigarettes while they hang there with their golden records. Um, you've got a picture of Ian Gillum with no shirt on, with a bottle of beer next to him. Got a naked Roger Glover playing bass there. <laughs> Looking... <sighs> Looking soaked. Maybe it was just really hot wherever they were. Um, although they would have been recording this in October in Munich. I can't imagine it's super, unless this was during the earlier sessions they did in, in uh, Rome where it would have been pretty mm-hmm. pretty hot. Uh, another picture of Ian and Roger naked playing <laughs> playing uh, <laughs> with only a guitar and a bass covering their, uh, their, sweet, their, their sweet nothings or whatever you want to call them. what the hell is this I have no idea Um, some more kind of things from the gatefold there's a uh, ad for the woman from Tokyo is it says woman from Tokyo is single so I guess they're kind of (laughs) I I don't it's a bit of a stretch there Um, it says from the new album by Deep Purple who do we think we are on Warner Brothers records and then it's got a picture of the billboard charts there showing machine head Made in Japan and Who Do We Think We Are all on the charts at the same time. Nice. So, kind yeah, of the woman, the woman from Tokyo looks like she was in a washing machine drum or something. 
<laughs> she does, right? <laughs> yeah, what is that? That does look like a washing machine drum. Yeah, like one of those front loaders. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of them front loaders. Yeah, one of the new, newfangled front loaders back in 74. Whenever they... I wonder if they had front loaders back then. Maybe laundromats. I don't know. You have to listen to the, the Speed Queen podcast for that. They'll, they'll tell you all about that. <laughs> um, so uh, for the album, for the, for the remixes itself, uh, Simon Robinson says, any subtlety they did manage with the... Con- oh, I already mentioned that. Um, so yeah, he talks about the, the album cover being changed. Again, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like a change so minor. Why bother doing it? But there you have it. The tracks on the album uh, we can get into right now. There's not a ton. We're only going to really, I think, talk about four of them. The first track is a remix of Woman from Tokyo. Historically, it's the precedent of the Deep Purple podcast that we don't really get into remixes. Not really enough different to talk about. Um, But they do have a cool track right after the remix, which is an alternate version of the bridge of the song, which I'm going to play. Not hugely different, but it does take a little bit of a turn. Hi-hat work by Ian Pace. He's the only one not phoning it in here. (laughs) Everyone else is kind of fumbling around. Sounds like it was under-rehearsed. Yeah. And this part's kind of the same. So there you go. I mean, it's mostly just some minor variation in the in the chord structure. But nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. It's kind of neat to hear it a little being worked out, a little raw. Yeah, it's, I, I always enjoy hearing those kind of alternate, alternate takes or alternate versions. I know, like the ultimate thing for me as a Beatles fan was like the Beatles anthology that comes out and they play like, you know, the Beatles were famous for doing like a song. Like, let's play a song. Okay, let's play it heavy. Let's play it slow. Let's do it as a ballad. Let's do it as a rock song. Let's do it in six eight time. Let's do it in three four eight time. Like they would, they would change things around so much in all the different versions that you get these crazy, crazy renditions of songs that sound nothing like the original, and uh, you don't get anything as extreme here. But it's interesting to hear. So the next song is the only other song that they did in the villa in Rome when they were recording before they in their kind of unproductive two-week session there. It's a, and this one didn't make it onto the album, and this is a song called Painted Horse. You got like two guitars there going, like the left channel's like a slide guitar. 
apparently Richie would not allow this one on the album. You know, it kind of makes me think of a cross between like how they would sound when they reunited mm. and Aerosmith. Maybe because of the slide guitar. Yeah, because whenever I hear like 70s rock slide guitar, I always think of Joe Perry, but this sounds kind of Aerosmith ish to me. Yeah. Apparently everyone was upset with Ian Gillen's vocal performance and he just refused to redo it. So that's kind of why it didn't end up on the album. Yeah, it doesn't really sound that impressive. Like we talked about last week, it, sound, it doesn't sound like he's fully invested in doing it. Almost sounds like an episode six song. I wonder if this was written by Glover and Gillen. Says each verse of the song is about death from a different form as a child, as a carpenter, and then the narrator himself. Kind of dark. And bringing the harmonica back too. You know, I mean, they could have easily fit this on the album. The album's only like 35 minutes long. I really like this guitar solo, but it doesn't sound good. Well, that part. But like his, it sounds yeah. like his guitar, like the mic is too far away from the, from the amp. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't sound present in the song. I think I would have been more inclined to re redo the guitar, even though the performance is good, just because the sound of it is just a little off. This would have been one of the longer songs on the album too. Like, it's almost five and a half minutes long. This one is definitely very uncharacteristic. It doesn't sound like Deep Purple. Yeah, I, I submit that it sounds like Aerosmith. They should have, so, they should have just sold this song to Aerosmith. <laughs> But I mean, also the way that the way that they performed it too is it's just really lackluster. I think it's even like less inspired than anything that wound up on the album. That's saying a lot coming from you. <laughs> I guess Ian Gillen is reportedly in one of these books I was reading um, that he was kind of unhappy about this process because he felt like. They were just repeating the machine head formula, like rent X place, bring the mobile unit, record for two weeks. And it's one of those things I, I, I can't fault them for trying to recreate the machine head formula because it resulted in an incredible album. But you can't really 
recreate something like that. You can't say, well, if we do all the things we did before Machine Head, we'll get another Machine Head. It just, that, those sorts of things just happen. Yeah, I think that that's a mistake that a lot of people make. It's like if you had had that whole setup and just left it untouched and then walked away from it for like a year and then came back and unlocked the door and that everything was mic'd the same and all the equipment was the same, it, it wouldn't sound the same. Right, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. My wife uh, tells a story about when she was a kid, they had this do dog and um, her mother like knocked over... Well, the dog was standing on the counter and her mother had baked some muffins and she knocked over the muffins and they all fell all over the dog and the dog's just eating all these muffins as they're falling on the dog, like raining down on him. And the dog was just in heaven. And then like till the day the dog died, he would just go over to the, that same point on the counter like every day, just hoping that it would happen <laughs> again. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's good. And it's like, it's one of those things that's kind of human nature and I guess canine nature that you get these good results and you're like, well, if we just do that again, it'll ha the magic will happen again. And, mm -hmm. you know, the muffins aren't going to just fall on you every time. It's just one of those things. That's, I can't top that. That's like, that's <laughs> I don't know why that just popped in my head. but It's, it's the best it's, story in the world. <laughs> so the, relating muffins falling on a dog's head is just like machine head and who do we think we are? That's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of commentary you can expect on the Deep Purple podcast. No other podcasts are giving you this kind of, this kind of biting, like cutting commentary. Oh, <laughs> who else would draw these parallels? <laughs> I don't know, it just popped in my head. Um, but it's true. It's true. It's a. It's it's basically another way of saying what we just said. It's mm -hmm. just like it's human nature to think that if you repeat a formula, it's going to wind up the same each time. There are so many variables, and the variable in that one is is that they didn't they didn't have complete, well thought out songs, and they they weren't all getting along. And the process is like. If you think that Richie and Ian really didn't speak to each other, let's just say at best they minimally spoke to each other. It's like you can't have a cohesive, inspired result um, because of that. Like there was no collaboration. There was no passion in it. So, right. I mean, it's like um, you, you, can't, you, can't make a, you can't make great music that way. Nope. Absolutely and they not. Didn't, and they did not. So... We didn't do a rating for the alternate bridge because it just is what it is. What do you if you had to give a rating to Painted Horse? What do you what are you giving it? Two. Really? Not that? <laughs> I, I just I wouldn't listen to it again. Like that one just came to me too. Like I'll go to our I'll go to our Google rating sheets, but um, I mean I've I've given twos, but I don't think I've like handed out twos since like Mark one. <laughs> I don't think you handed out twos since episode six. Yeah, probably. But I mean, it's just it's very like. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't listen to it again. It's just kind of like, eh. well, how about you? Mm. If you, if I had to twist your arm, I would give it a, I'd give it a three. I think it's just kind of like, and my three is kind for me is just kind of like, it's there. It's it's a song. It, you know, it's it's not it, it it doesn't jump out at me. But if it's on in the background, I'm not gonna like actively like trip over myself to turn it off. You know what I mean? Mm, like if I it came would. if it came up in a mix, <laughs> you're like I would knock people over to <laughs> get to the volume knob. <laughs> I'd elbow old ladies in the throat just to turn this off. <laughs> Let me at that stereo, woman. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I to me, it's just like if it came on in a mix, I'd be like, ah, eh, whatever. The song's on. You know, it's it's just kind of it's it is. It's there. It's 
Yeah, I'd walk outside and like you know get my mail <laughs> until it was over. And you'd take your time because it's like five minutes long. You'd be like, oh, I'm gonna really take my time getting them. How far away is your mail from your front door? Actually, not that far. I'd have to do some other things, like yeah. maybe I don't know, take take a lap around the driveway. Yeah, just walk around the around the building. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I think it was very. Um, um, What's the word? It's just not it. Uh, what did you it's call kinda, it? It's kind of boring. It's just. Yeah, I guess boring is just the best way. It's uh, uninspired. It's just it doesn't stand out. There's nothing about it that makes me want to ever go back to it. It's almost like if, like they, was, if they sped up the tempo a bit and he like really put a little more passion in the lyrics and um, they fixed that guitar sounding far away like that. I think you could make it work. Yeah. But again, it was like, what? why? Why bother? I mean, yeah, probably just another example of them getting through the recording sessions. I mean, if like if Richie and Ian weren't talking to each other or whatever, and then it's just kind of like, okay, this tempo is good enough. This takes good enough. Uh, good enough doesn't always cut it. Right, right. So like nobody was there to just be like, hey, let's try this a, a different way. Like the like the Beatles example you gave. Mm-hmm. Let's try, let's try it this way. Let's try a reggae version. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's part of why you know some a lot of the Beatles stuff was kind of so diverse. It was all over the map because they were just like they would do that. Like let's do a slow version. Let's do a reggae version. Let's do a hard version. Let's do a, a acoustic version. And then you know one of those just sticks out, and you say, oh, let's go with that. And they could have probably used with a little of that for this. Yeah. See me. I'm just very like I'm very like uh, one one track mind like my my version would always go to like oh let's try a really heavy version of it i'm just always i'm always about the hard rock and you know let's do a ballad version yawn hard rock (laughs) speed it up make it heavier turn up the turn up the gain let's go (laughs) um more bass more screaming all right sorry the next song is uh, again a remix of Our Lady, not worth diving into. We we did both really like that song from the original album, but again, it's a remix. We're not going to notice anything hugely different in that. And the song after that is another one that's kind of uh, just a a little artifact here, and that's the the writing session for Rat Bat Blue. It's them trying out a bunch of different uh, a different. It sounds like they're kind of practicing coming back in from the solo, and you hear a lot of guitar solos in this. So last week we talked about how Richie Blackmore for this song just said, you know what, I am i don't care, you just take the solo, John. But listening to this, you might be like, eh, it sounds like Richie didn't really know what to do for the solo, so maybe that's why he gave it to John. Maybe. And uh, here, we're, here are a few versions of that here. Yeah, I actually thought this was kind of neat to listen to. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Can't stop Ian Pace. <laughs> that sounds like Booker Tallison right there. That might be it. So, oh my God, even the writing sessions were terrible. 
So, well, so it's now like, you can, I don't know. You, when you listen to the fireball ones, you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of funny or cool or they're, you know, you know what I mean? Like they even sounded yeah. like on the top of their game when they did that little, what was the movie theme that they did? You remember that? Oh, and they were just doing all like the, uh, it sounded like they were having fun. Like when they were doing all like the movie and TV shows and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah, those and this, just this one is around. Like, Richie <laughs> <laughs> like if you can hear after, after that take he's probably screw this John you just do a solo I don't care <laughs> like I don't, if his guitar if his guitar could talk he'd be like nee, 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 nee. I don't know what's going on right now I don't. <laughs> totally but it was, so nothing but you can really uh, nothing again not much you can rate and mad it just is what it is it's some outtakes yeah um, the next song is the 99 remix of Rat Bat Blue Again, it's a remix. It's nothing crazy. And then it ends with the final thing, which is the first day jam. So this one's interesting. Uh, apparently, Ian and Richie and John all got to, Ian Pace, Richie and John, all got to the, the, the villa in Rome. And Roger got stuck in really bad traffic in, in Rome. And traffic in Rome can be really bad. And they were just waiting for Blackmore to get there, and they recorded this little jam with Richie Blackmore on bass, John Lord on keyboards, and Ian Pace on drums. And here you go. I really love, I loved this one. Very like kind of not deep purple sounding, but you've got Richie Blackmore just kind of like plugging along on, a, on bass, sounding very very interesting not what not what you hear from necessarily from Glover or Hughes or anything and then John Lord playing some keys and they kind of jump all around this is extremely long it's you know almost 12 minutes long uh, but it's it shows them kind of jamming in the studio and then we as we talked about I can just kind of talk while this I like this kind of mellow little jam in the background here we talked about last week they recorded Smelly Bati, which we don't know. <laughs> we I haven't heard it from anybody. Of course, th that episode only released this morning, so I haven't heard from anybody if they have a copy of Smelly Bati, but I don't think it's out there. Yeah, you know what? you got to stop saying that. <laughs> it really bothers you. <laughs> I don't like it. It's like, you know what people don't like when you say the word moist? It's like Yeah, that's how you feel about <laughs> the smelly B word. <laughs> smelly B word. Yeah, just say SB from now on, okay? SB. Okay, so they, rec they recorded SB and then Conway, Conway Twitties, it's only make-believe. Um, and then I guess for the special edition, they didn't want to include those because, and John Lord, uh, apparently John Lord is the one who said that he didn't want those released. Um, and considering the things we've heard on the special edition, like them drunk playing TV and movie scores and... Uh, flubbing guitar lines and all this sort of stuff. It, there must be something really bad about those recordings. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, is pretty, so, this is pretty cool. I like this. I really like this. I listened to this because uh, I, I hadn't heard before we started doing this podcast, I hadn't heard any of these special edition albums. I had the, all the original CDs. Yeah. So this stuff was kind of all new to me. I was listening to this at the gym last week and kind of grooving out to it. I thought it was really good. I just, I think Richie's bass playing is great. You know, you wouldn't expect somebody kind of a flashy guitarist or someone who's really like used to doing soloing all the time to lay down such a solid groove and stick to it, you know? 
Sometimes when lead guitarists pick up basses, it becomes just a, a, a bass solo. <laughs> So a few I mean, things about I'm, the album. Uh, yeah. Lord said Ian's timing of leaving the band was terrible. The band was becoming absolutely massive and, uh, you know, it, it was, he felt that Burn was, you know, a tremendously good album, really took, took, took advantage of the new lineup, but he really feels like there was a lot more good that could have come on the Mark II lineup. Oh, definitely. So John Lord and Melody Maker, he told Michael Watts on the last day of their U.S. tour before flying to Hawaii, then Japan, he said about Ian. He told us nine or ten months ago that he wanted to leave this summer. He feels he wants out of the business entirely. What do you call it? Reevaluating? He may sing some more. In fact, knowing Ian as I do, I don't think he can give it up completely. Lord said when that the group returns to England, they are to reexamine, reevaluate their music. We want to get into regular rehearsing rather than just playing together and make an album, which is what we have been doing during the last 18 months. The only moves to the only moves forward have come when we have gone to sound checks in the afternoons before gigs and sorted a few things together. I would like Deep Purple to develop into a freer group. We are a very tense band and orgasmic solos are our trademark. We actually want to become more vocal. We're hinting to the lineup change, including two vocalists. I like that this groove doesn't sound like what you'd expect Deep Purple to be jamming on. Well, I mean, what you really have here is like three three members of the band who weren't disagreeing. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting something a little a little different, a, a little better. I kind of like this. Kind of reminds me of like Medeski, Martin and Wood. <laughs> I mean, not, not this part with his like fiddling around with the knobs <laughs> earlier when he was playing the organ it sounded a little like Modesky Martin and Wood I'm getting a little crazy I don't know what he's doing on the organ right now but <laughs> he's getting a lot he's I don't know if this organ or synth I know he's getting a lot more into synths and as we hear on burn he, he, a lot more synths become present on that one yeah So Gillen says about this whole thing, we had just come off 18 months of touring and we had all had major illnesses at one point or another. Looking back, if they'd have been decent managers, they would have said, all right, stop. I want you to all go on three months holiday. I don't even want you to pick up an instrument, but instead they pushed us to complete the album on time. We should have stopped. I think if we did, Deep Purple would have still been around to this day. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think that, to me, I, like I said in the last episode, I, I think they, their management is really at fault for this, for the for well, this I mean, bad uh, thing. Well look, came... well, look at what happened to the Mark One lineup. I mean, everything that everything that we talked about in the earlier episodes was the same thing. It was just the management trying to rush them, rush them in, rush them out, crank out products. Yeah, what was it? Three albums in eighteen months. Yeah, and constantly so like this, this... go into the studio and do an album. Uh, we don't have any material. I don't care. Make some material and make it happen. Yeah, may, make some material and then only have you do a bunch of shitty covers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, you don't have enough Which, material? Um, Here's four covers for you. Just throw these in there. But I mean, that's I think that's a kind of a 
a thing that happens to a lot of bands. You hear the, the those stories of just like, well, the the management or the this or the, you know, they they forced us into the studio and then we had to go right out on tour and yep. you know you get burnt out and that's that's why stuff like this happens. So who knows? Maybe if what Ian said in that interview was had happened, if they had taken some time off and everything, then maybe they wouldn't have. Him and Richie wouldn't have been arguing and they might have been more inspired and a better album might have come out. They might have gotten through the 70s with who knows. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to me, it just sounds miserable, like especially you've got so many talented musicians in this band with so much to give and, and so much that writing potential, you know, as you see when they when they split off. Look at all the stuff Ian Gillen did on Chair Kazoo. Look at all the stuff that Roger Glover did with the Butterfly Ball and and later uh, Elements. Look at what. Blackmore did with Rainbow and look what Pace and Lord did with Pace Ashton Lord like and and Lord's constantly doing these other projects on the side while he's in Deep Purple so it's not like it's not like they they couldn't have done it they just needed a v- very few concessions could have been made you know yeah. give away a f- you know give up a, a month of touring give up you know just wait on pushing putting an album out and, and nobody wanted to seem to want to do it. They just wanted to get as much money as they could. Well, yeah, and that's that's what it is with uh, management record companies at the time. Uh, if you hear any of these stories, is that it's just to them, it's just product. Exactly. Yep. It's ramp up production. Ramp up production. Exactly. Just like when you you were saying earlier that they uh, when they had heard like oh this will probably be the end of Deep Purple, they tried to like milk every last bit of marketing and everything out of it, which is just like not always the best decisions. I mean, I can I can almost understand that point of view from from a business standpoint. But if you hadn't let it got to that point, you wouldn't have to be milking it for everything it's worth. You probably could have squeezed it's, out. Who knows? I mean, maybe they could have squeezed out another four albums with the Mark II lineup. Yeah. Um, Ian Pace uh, at this point was going back and forth between leaving with Blackmore to form a new band and staying. Um, he was kind of like, I'm going to go with Blackmore and do this baby face thing. But the money that started to come in with Purple convinced him, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to stick around because I'm making good money now. And at this point, what, how old is Pace? 24. He was yeah. really young. Ronnie James Dio, he toured with Elf and D- Deep Purple for the last tour with Gillen. And he said Ian would stay in a different hotel and the rest of the band. He'd turn up at the gigs in a car two or three minutes before the gig started, go on stage and do his bit. And as soon as it went over, he'd go back in his hotel again. We couldn't understand that. This isn't how bands should be. For me, that was the most unusual thing that ever happened on the Purple Tours, seeing a side of things that I just didn't know existed. I thought bands got on really well and stayed together forever. Boy, have I learned that lesson well over the years. (laughs) Wow. I'm sure after he became in a band with uh, Richie Blackmore. He kind of saw probably maybe how that had come about. Mm-hmm. He, and, he and Blackmore didn't uh, didn't necessarily end things well. Now this sounds like Medeski Martin and Wood again here. Maybe their inspiration for uh, for their band was just listening to these these jams here. So a year later in Japan, things weren't great for the band. On their last show at the Budokan, there was a huge riot after Richie walked off stage and refused to do an encore. Not not good. 
The famous <laughs> images of chairs piled up and the place destroyed is from that show. Have you ever seen that picture? I don't think so. I'll pull it up in a second when this when this uh, jam is over. Gillen I just, got- uh, I like I like how like a lot of the uh, the the word that I hear the most in association with Richie is refused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you had to do Richie a, refused. If you had to do a word cloud, it would be like ref, it would be like dusk and refused. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Richie refused to do this. He refused to do that. It's like again, sounds like my niece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sounds like my kids. Yeah, I'm it not, sounds like a five-year-old. I'm not brushing my teeth. Um, I'm not going on before dusk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I refuse to go on before dusk. I refuse. (laughs) Classic John Lord just falling on the the keys. (laughs) So I've got a picture. Have you seen this picture of this like this this riot that ensued? I don't think I have. It's kind of a famous uh, picture. Let me pull it up here for you. Well, if you pull Uh, it up, maybe I have seen it. So this is a, a picture of after the show. So nope. deep, you can see the deep purple stage there with their logo, and then there's just basically just <laughs> chairs everywhere. So they picked up all these chairs and just threw them all about because they were all pissed off. Um, Re- uh, Richie refused to do a, a, an encore. Gillen got in a fight and was he he said he comes in all bloody and. Confronts Blackmore backstage, like, what the hell was that all about? And Blackmore said, the audience sucked. They didn't deserve an encore, so F them. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, great. And you're looking at, you know, so you can see, you can see through this whole, all these stories that I've been going through, like, why both sides might might bear some blame here. I, I, can, yeah. I can definitely see... Richie's side of it in some part parts, and I can definitely see I'd be pretty pissed off if I got, you know, I'm all bloody from getting beaten up by angry fans, and then Richie's like, ah, I didn't want to. They were a bad audience. It's, yeah, I can I can see. There's probably 50-50 blame right there. So I do want to uh, send another shout-out to uh, Jorg Planer, who uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, because I... Um, I asked him, well, I put it out again into my, to, to the Twitter folks, like, hey, I'm looking. I had seen this copy of the letter that that Ian Gillen wrote to resign from the band, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I Googled it. I couldn't find it. I knew I'd seen it at one point. So I put it out there. And of course, he's like, oh, here you go. And sends a scan of the, of the letter. It's not, awesome. um, it's not great quality. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, but I can read it to you what it actually said. So... Uh, it was in uh, December. I think it was December of 1972. December 9th, 1972. Uh, Ian Gillen wrote this letter after a show in Dayton, Ohio, on stationery from the hotel they were staying, which is the Imperial House North. And right, it says right on the stationery where every guest is a king. And um, <laughs> he says, Dear Tony, thank you for your telegram. And they had already had some back and forth. Perhaps in my letter to you, the word affiliations misled you. I must now make it clear that my doubts lie in the direction of my own desires to perform as an artist. I am so depressed with my occupation at the moment, as well as the circumstances and attitudes I have to work with, that I felt it very necessary to put on record my intentions to leave the group on 30th of June, 1973. This decision is not impulsive, 
but is made after at least six months of thought. I'm certainly not considering moving to any other companies for management, etc. It is quite simply that if after three months complete break, I decide to continue in this business, I shall find a new way of expressing my ideas, or at least a more varied way. I suppose I could sum up by saying that I think Deep Purple has become a boring, stagnant machine, far removed from the refreshing, innovative group it once was. I think this was inevitable and that we should quit while we are ahead. Another advantage to deciding upon a date at least six months in advance is that nobody will be able to take an unfair advantage of the situation. You must admit that this is almost a probability where matters allowed to follow an unguided course. I have already formulated a basic pattern for the future, and I shall obviously make you aware of my intentions when I reach London. Yours sincerely, Ian Gillen. Wow. So this, uh, again, a scan is from Jörg Planer on Twitter, and it comes from uh, the book, uh, Chris Charlesworth's book, The Illustrated Deep Purple. Um, I did look for a copy of this book. I was like, wow, this is a great book. So of all these Deep Purple books I have, I, I don't have a copy of it. Let me get it. And I look it up on Amazon. It's like $264 for this 90-page book. So I was like, well, I guess I'll be relying on your planer scans <laughs> to get me through. I'm like, what could it, what stories could it possibly have in there that aren't in the other 10 books that I have? True. So this would have, you know, this would have been about right about the time Made in Japan was being released. He wrote this letter and another interesting tidbit from one of the books I have, um, not super relevant, but it's a, a key from the Imperial House Hotel where he wrote that letter. Wow. Dayton, Ohio. Imperial House South, where every guest is king. Wonder if it's still around. Yeah, that'd be a good. Yeah, we should. We should go. Maybe we should go see Deep Purple in Ohio, a neutral territory. We could stay at the Imperial House Hotel. That'd be pretty cool. Road trip. Road trip. Road trip. I wonder if they're playing Dayton, Ohio. We should look into that. Um, for sure. So yeah, this is right around the time Deep uh, that Made in Japan was released. Um, Ian Gillen writes in his Child in Time book that neither John or Tony asked him to reconsider or told him to take a break and think it over. Uh, John or Tony being uh, Tony Edwards and John Coletta, their managers. Uh, he says that, you know, he says that if, you know, he and Richie and the rest of the band had simply just taken some time off, that maybe things could have improved. Um, you know, as we see when they get back together in the 80s, maybe not. <laughs> as, 10 years had passed or more mm. than 10 years had passed and they still ran into kind of the same problems. Yeah. Um, he admits that he didn't want to leave, that the letter was just kind of a, a cry for help. You know, he, he, he wanted, I think he wanted people to hear that a few things. One is, Hey, we need some friggin' time off to rest and be humans. And another thing is he just kind of wanted the, the band to try some new things, which I think yeah. you saw on who do we think we are. If, if the relationships between the band were better, that probably could have been a, better received album because they were trying new things. They just weren't super into it. And I mean, if you look at through the timeline, um, if he had been thinking about it for six months and he wrote that in June or was thinking about it, I'm sorry, since like maybe around June of what, 72. And then like wanted to leave his letter said in like June of 73. And that just, that kind of makes you think like him and, Glover joined the band like what late 69 
Yeah, yeah, it would have been like right. well, mid, yeah, like July or so. Yeah, yeah, mid to late '69. So I mean, if you really think about it, it's like the the most classic version of the band wasn't even together for like a few years. Like they were together really short, very short of time, which is really it's kind of weird to think about. You you think about bands like that, you're like, ah, they've probably been together forever, and it was like, no, nah, the history of the band is long, but that that lineup is like so important, and they were only together for a few years. Yeah, and, I mean, not. Huge, not much longer than the Mark One lineup. Yeah, or you and, know, um, and and think about too, like if they had if they had given them a break or they decided to call it quits or whatever, what that would have looked like if machine if they just like went out on Machine Head and made in Japan and they didn't make who did we think we are? Yeah, or they saved it and you know saved some of that material for you know a bigger album if they just you know instead of putting an album out and you know. January of 1973, they'd put one out in the summer of 1973. You know, there could have been a lot of, mm. you know, and it seems like from what I've been reading about Burn and and the up and Stormbringer in particular, that a lot of there was a huge shift in in how record companies did business at this time, and I think they were much to the detriment of a lot of great bands figuring this out. Like, hey, <laughs> maybe we should let these people be human beings and give them some time off and not just time off, but time to create. You can't just under the gun, come up with uh, stuff. You have to, there has to be some way to wind down and, and come up. You can't, you can't on the other hand, just sit back and wait for inspiration to, to strike because you do have to sometimes oh, just yeah. get to work and, and force yourself, but not under these conditions. Oh yeah, I mean it's um and I mean I'm sure it's different for for like everybody. I mean uh the first the first three Kiss albums were done under duress so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um I mean by the time they got to their third album, they had like no material and they're just like all right, and then they just go like they walk into the studio every day and be like, "All right, what's what's today's song?" and they just throw something together and it, uh, admittedly a lot of people think that's not one of their best albums, one of my favorites. Yep. Um, but it works different for every band. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's still one of those things that was just kind of, and it was around that same period was my point too. Like the early seventies was just kind of like, come on, you gotta get back in the studio. We got to put you out on tour, blah, 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 you know? And, um, but as they got more successful, they got more time, uh, the luxury of more time to work on material and albums and everything. So, right. Um, but you know, and the, unfortunately, did not work out that way for our our boys here. So it did not at all. Um, so yeah, he felt the band was losing integrity. John Lord said it kind of broke his heart. Uh, that, mm. You know that he was he issued this cry for help and nobody really <clears throat> heard it. Nobody, meaning the management, uh, they they really thought it was Richie that was going to leave and do this project with Phil Lynott, but that never materialized. Um, then they summoned. Uh, John and Roger, uh, Tony Edwards and John Coletta bring John and Roger to this restaurant and say, you know, hey, if you convince uh, Pace to stay and not go off with Blackmore, we'll find a new guitarist and a new singer. Um, But then management at the same time also asked Blackmore what it would take for him not to leave. And he said uh, he wasn't into what Roger was doing. And and he said, but it's not, you know, in in interviews now, he, he definitely comes off as trying to be the nice guy. He says, well... I wasn't really, I thought I should leave the band, but I, I wasn't into what Roger was doing, but that wasn't fair to him because he didn't do anything wrong. But at the end of the day, they heard that and said, well, Glover's got to go. 
And Ian Pace says he was just a kid partying, living day to day, not worrying about what would happen next. Uh, and he kind of left decisions to Richie and John. He's like, those are kind of the grownups. <laughs> Let them <laughs> do what they're going to do. I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm just going to do whatever, whatever they decide. So in early 1973, they agreed that they're going to fire Roger if Richie would stay. And Richie felt awkward saying that he'd rather leave and, and, and start something new, but they didn't want that. So Roger eventually goes to Tony Edwards because he's, he's getting this feeling like as soon as this decision's made, you know, everyone's starting to treat him differently because they know what's happening. And he's like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? They're like, oh, no, nothing's wrong. No, it's fine. And he's like, no, no, really, really. And he, so he corners Tony Edwards and then, uh, so, you know, in one of these documentaries, you can see him talking about it. And, you know, that they said Tony tells him that he, Richie wants him out of the band and Roger gets really choked up. And even to this day, just kind of like, He's like, well, he's like, well, f them, you know. I'll be the, I'll be the gentleman. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll fulfill my duties. I'll do, I'll play all the shows that we've booked through with Gillen, and then I'm gone. So, and Roger sat, uh, sat next to John on the, um, on the flight home, and John said he felt really bad for what had happened, and and Roger said he felt a little bit more, more let down by uh, John and Ian Pace than by Richie for just kind of letting this happen. <clears throat> Yeah. And then on the fi- on the final night of the the final night, they play the final concert. They get off, and then Richie says to Glover, "Hey, it's nothing personal. It's just business," which I don't think made Glover feel any better. Um, Blackmore was starting to withdraw withdraw from the band. Still, he was or continuing to with, withdraw from the band. And then Roger Glover is quoted as saying, "It had gotten to the point where Richie wasn't interested in doing anybody else's ideas. I remember in particular coming up with a chord se- sequence." which I thought was an interesting idea for a song. I'd written this out on a piece of paper. Uh, I said to Pacey, like, start this rhythm about this time. Jart starts playing. I start playing. But Richie just looks over his shoulder and says, no, we're going to do this instead and starts playing this thing in, you know, this other riff. And he kind of does a dig on Richie Richie at this point. He says something, uh, it might have been Mary Long or perhaps another one, something mid-tempo. A lot of his riffs were starting to sound the same, nearly all variations in G. <laughs> and then that's it. They go to Osaka, and on June 29th, 1973, they play their final show. And um, this is an audio of Gillen's... Uh, it's on one of the bootlegs. It's called Gillen's Last Speech. The audio mm-hmm. quality is not 100%, but here's kind of what he says. So he says, all I want to say to all of you is thank you very much. You've been great. Thank you for everything you've given us in Japan. And thank you. Really, you're the representatives of the whole world as far as we're concerned. Thank you and God bless you for everything you've ever given us. This is the last night, the end. God bless you. Thanks a lot. Good night. And with that, wow. the famous Mark II lineup of Deep Purple comes to an end. Wow, that's pretty amazing that that uh, was captured. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the audio. Yeah, it's bootleg. Yeah. 
That's cool. So that's it. That's the end of uh, Deep Purple Mark Two, and with you know, in our next episode, we'll be going into um, Mark the Mark Three lineup, how that started, all that fun. So you know, we had kind of a long episode last. We couldn't cram all this into one episode, or else it would have been like three and a half, closer to almost four hours. So this this episode's a little shorter. Uh, because we're uh, just kind of taking this tail end of the of the Mark II lineup into into account, and uh, I do have a couple of quick news things. So where are we here? Um, windows are all over the place. So in the news, uh, just the other day, I think it was Tuesday. Uh, Ian Gillen released, or it might have been Friday. My week's kind of all messed up. Uh, the Ian Gillen released this uh, album, Contractual Obligation, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which I think is awesome. <laughs> that's a, that's brilliant. So it's a three a three parter. So it's Ian Gillen live with the Don Airy Band and Orchestra, um, playing three dates. Um, this is the art for day three which was in St. Petersburg. They played another show in Warsaw. And where are my notes here? Okay. So the first show was live in Moscow, and that's a Blu-ray. The second one is live in Warsaw, which is a double CD. And then the third show is live in St. Petersburg, which is on three LPs. So... Uh, on the website, I'll put the links in the show notes. You can You can order these. Um, still fresh from the success of the studio album Now What and just a few months before release in the latest equally successful album Infinite Ian Gillen accepted the offer to tour for a month in Eastern Europe with a full rock show accompanied every night by a different local orchestra Gillen decided to recruit the Don Airy Band which features the guitar talent of Simon McBride all shows were truly unique with Airy and McBride delivering perfect performances night after night Deep Purple material includes rarities like Razzle Dazzle or Anya, went hand-in-hand hand with, e with Gillen's solo songs and surprises for those, uh, those into the deepest catalog. The title is a humorous reference to Ian Gillen's notorious reticence to pay any attention to his own or Deep Purple live releases, as he explains in the album liner notes. This live album and video might be one of the nicest chapters in Gillen's solo production ever and remainder about, uh, a reminder about how great his solo music and concerts have been over the years. Uh, Curiosity, the last Deep Purple album, was named Infinity, which later turned into Infinite, during the afternoon preceding the Warsaw show that ended up being immortalized for this CD release. Um, and there's lots of different songs on there kind of spanning the whole Deep Purple uh, back catalog, some of his solo stuff, all sorts of all sorts of stuff, so... Kind of cool. They they could have picked a better picture of him. While you're talking, I'm looking at it, and it's uh, he just looks like an old man holding a microphone. It's like <laughs> it's what he is. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they they could have picked a better picture of him. I this, just love. Uh, I think point. I've talked about this before. I just love how Ian Gillen does not give a crap about like trying to look like a rock star. He's just like he's wearing. Look at that shirt he's wearing. It's like it's like a pineapple. It's like it's like a um, I don't even know what you call it, but the, it's like a like a slot machine. 
like yeah. that's that's rendered like the head the top of a pineapple some guy with sunglasses and then the bottom of a pineapple so it's like what does that shirt even mean why is he wearing it he doesn't care <laughs> he's like i'm ian gillen what do i have to prove i'm just gonna grab whatever t-shirt i feel comfortable in and that's why sometimes he wears this like a like a white just <laughs> almost like dress like, so, like, like a white suit right like a, like a white suit but really loose fitting like so, like what you'd wear if you were like in saudi arabia I'm, or something well i always when i see that i always think of like you know he just got off the deck of the boat and he like uh, he, hey i just came back from the bahamas where's my mai tai that's my hook on the water yeah exactly. i was just uh, just just cleaned up a shuffleboard well, give me my mic <laughs> he probably does <laughs> oh but this still this still awesome though i mean if you look back at the people I think that this is truly like a great era, though, for for music for these bands, because back when they first came out, who the hell was 70 years old and still like performing heavy music or or this type of music, rock music or whatever, Nobody. like all these all these bands. I mean, even like the the the, the remaining guys um, from from the Beatles, mm -hmm. the Rolling Stones, Deep Purple, Kiss even. I mean, these guys are all like uh, 70s or pushing 70s or beyond their 70s, and they're still getting out there doing songs from like they were in their 20s. Yeah, I mean, you look at, and of this time, like you, you look at old videos or whatever of people you considered old, and they're like younger than you are now, and they look like old men, you know? So it's like... Well, yeah, I mean, I think that like um, I had heard from somewhere uh, when the Rolling Stones did their their Steel Wheels tour back in like 89, I think it was. They called it the Steel Wheelchair Tour and like Mick Jagger was like <laughs> freaking my age now. Yes. <laughs> it's yep. like and it's like and now it's what 30 years later and he's still performing. Yeah, but that's uh, yeah, I remember I remember yeah, being in in the 80s people making jokes about how old Rolling Stones were and they're still out there playing. Oh my and you know making the same jokes they're making now about um Keith Richards. And they're it's, like they're they're 40. Like give me a break. Yeah, it's it's like Christ, I could still do pull-ups and burpees and stuff like that. I was that old. Like those guys were probably doing that back then. You know, but I mean, I, but the point being is that it's still like, it's a very, it's a very, um, unique, I think time. So, but it's really cool to see that people can get all decked out and go and still do the rock star thing like Mick Jagger, but they can also not give a shit like Ian Gillen. Cause yep. really who do they, like you said, who, who does he got to prove anything to? Yeah, it's like, whatever. I'm just wearing whatever I want. Like, like I'll wear goofy sunglasses. I'll do like, he doesn't care. But I've seen some of the performances from the show. Like they did release some like in, in promos and I mean, they put on a really good show. It's funny. Like it's like Ian Gillen with the Don Airy band. It's like, why, why is this deep purple? <laughs> it's just funny that know, I'm sure, right? I'm sure there's some sort of contractual reason he had to do something solo different or whatever. It's just so, yeah. it's always funny to me. It's like, it's like with Tom Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and he's like, oh, "I'm gonna do a solo album, but I'm gonna use most of the Heartbreakers on it, and uh, it's gonna sound exactly like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers." It's just, but we're not we're not gonna call it the Heartbreakers. Yeah, so. it's like why at that point why bother? He's like, "I'm gonna do a solo thing, but I'm gonna use my keyboardist and his band to to do it." Like it's just it's <laughs> odd. It's odd that you would go that route, but oh, I know it's funny. 
And finally, this week in Deep Purple history, being the week this is released, August 5th through August 11th, on August 8th, 1942, my mother's birthday, actually, John Gustafson was born. John Gustafson's your mother? <laughs> it's the way that it came out. It sounded really funny. Now you know why. You now you know why I love John Gustafson so much. Yeah, Nate's of, birth mother. Of course, he, he is actually my uh, my biological mother. Um, he's uh, <laughs> from Quater, Mass, of course, and uh, amongst other things, Ian Gillen Band. Um, great, great bass player, great singer, great musician. Did a lot with uh, Roxy Music, which I'm not as familiar with their stuff, but more familiar with his Deep Purple leaning stuff. But he's he's a great musician, unfortunately, that passed away too young. Mm. Um, on August 8th, 1980, also my mother's birthday, although she wasn't born in 1980, Gillen releases Glory Road, their third album. Good album. Which we will be getting to one of these days. And then on August 7th, a day before my mother's birthday, 2002, Ian Pace releases Not For The Pros, an instructional video on how to play the drums. So kind of cool. Nice. Pick that, pick that up on DVD if you're a drummer looking to pick up some, some great tips from the, the master himself. A um, couple of quick things. And of course, we always post these on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all the, the latest uh, cool anniversary dates to celebrate so definitely check them out um yeah and i think you know as we wrap up mark two thinking about future episodes i was thinking once we get through all the proper albums maybe we could take a look at that big list of potential episodes we have and we can alternate episodes and at the end of episode like tell the other one what we're going to do next week like you know your your week to pick we're going to cover this album or you know whatever it is Episode roulette. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless we start getting to like you know our four part or butterfly baller thing, that's gonna have to be uh, mapped Oof. out. But um, you know, if we're just Definitely, talking yeah. about like a, a single topic or a single band or a single uh, album or release mm -hmm. or something, we can we can alternate back and forth when we get to that point. Yeah. Uh -huh. And take a little break, just like Deep Purple did, before we get back into their proper albums. Of course. And we do not uh, dismiss Steve Morris. We love Steve Morris. All right. With that, I think we're calling it uh, calling a wrap on on this episode. Anything else to uh, throw in there before we before we uh, call it quits? No, this is this is the end. I love you all. <laughs> this is the <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, on to on to the next chapter. I like I you're, you're the representatives uh, of the world. <laughs> I don't know what that yes, means. Yes, all of you, all sixteen people, or however many people are listening. <laughs> Yes. What did you say? Oh, we got much more than that now. We're, we're really humming along. So, All right. To all of you, you are the representatives of the world. We love you. <laughs> and until next week, uh, have, a, have a great one. We'll, we'll have some more great information about some newcomers to the band when we join you next week. Yeah, a couple of noobs called Coverdale and Hughes. All right. All right. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. 
You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Yep, because well, one, and you know that they're going to be in like a million more somewhere on their way, because yeah. there's never just one. And, and my yep. reaction to him is always the same. I see one ant on the wall, and I roll up a newspaper. I'm like, oh, not now, mother. <laughs> and then I-